At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. you today. It's all we want. It's all we need. It's all we could ever hope for. It's all we could ever imagine because you are more than anything we could ever hope for or imagine. So please see us today. Hear us today when we say we're sorry. When we're sorry that we forgot that you were enough. When we're sorry that we tried to replace you with love from a man or a woman. When we're sorry when we tried to replace the feeling of pleasure and joy that you can offer us with some other substance, with some other thing, with some title, with some experience, with some job. It's you, Jesus. You're the only reason we're here. You are all we want. We're not here for a meal. We're not here for a song. We're not here for wise words. We're not here for anything other than you, Lord. So as you minister to us through the Holy Spirit of the living God, as we sit under your presiding authority right now, your word, it is your word that is in control right now. It is your word that is in charge right now. It's not whoever has the microphone. It is you, Jesus. So as we seek to kiss the sun with our hearts, with our worship, with our adoration, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, as you always do, would you speak to us in the inward place? Would you clear the distractions from our mind from a tough week that we had or a busy week that we're about to have? Would you till the soil in our heart that if there's rocks in there, would you get them out, Holy Spirit of the living God? Would you open us up so that we could receive the word of truth? Would you open us up so that we could receive your timeless truth, your sacred scripture? The only thing that can ever actually change our life is you, Jesus. So we're seeking you now. I praise you, I bless you that you have blessed us with a team that leads us to your throne, with a team that leads us in worship. So now as we sit under the authority of your word, may our hearts be moved, may our lives be moved as heaven is moved, as you speak to us and as we decide for you. We love you, Lord. We praise your name. We thank you. We bless your name. It's in the mighty name of Jesus, the name that demons flee, the name that every tongue will confess one day and every knee will bow one day to the Lordship of Christ ruling in our lives. It's in that name that we sit right now, the name of Jesus. Together we say amen and hallelujah. Let's bless God today, church. Hallelujah. Let's bless God as our children make their way to their to kids' ministry. Come on, let's continue to bless God. Let's bless God for our children. Let's bless God for our worship team as they leave the stage. Hallelujah. Come on. We're here to celebrate today, folks. We're here to celebrate. We're here to be excited today. How many of you are excited to be in church on a Sunday morning? Come on. Yeah. Amen. Somebody just did a run walking off the stage. That was, that was beautiful. That was great. Hey, so I'm so glad we're here uh, that we get to continue on in this sermon series called Smoke and Mirrors, that we're deciphering truth in a world of truths, that we are looking for purpose as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, as we look at the Koheleth, the preacher, the teacher, who we believe is Solomon, King Solomon, that he is teaching us about the meaninglessness of naturalism, just believing that the world's going to spin on over and over and over again, and everything that we see is all there is, or intellectualism, as Drew preached last Sunday, that if we can just seek to know more, then we'll be better, but that is not true, is it? Once we know more, there's always more to know from God. Today, we're going to look at what Solomon has to say about hedonism. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of bodily pleasure. You know, the, you'll be able to repeat this. You'll be able to, to finish this statement. Eat, drink, and 
Be merry. Some of you got it, right? It's all throughout here. That's kind of what we're talking about. How are we going to fill this up in our lives? So as we continue in this sermon series called Smoke and Mirrors, we're going to open up chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes today. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 11 verses today. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one at the Connect desk right here. Mike's got one in the air. That's, that's great. Um, and if you're sitting close enough, you'll be able to read the words on the screen. For those of you way back there that, that are going to try to play me, like you can read the words, you can't. It's too far away, they're too small, I know. But you need God's word more than you need my word. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right, real good. Uh, so again, first 11 verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we're going to look at Solomon's kind of resume of his pursuit of pleasure and his productivity. But before that, uh, I've got a question. It might be rhetorical, but if you think you've got the answer, you can shout it out. I'm wondering why certain things exist, like why publications exist, whether print or video publications. Uh, how many of you have ever seen MTV Cribs? Oh, come on, a couple people, right, have seen it. What about maybe for those of you that were watching TV in the mid-90s, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? You guys have seen that? It was always curious to me how that show was hosted by a man with the last name Leach, but that's not necessarily the, the point here. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Or uh, how many of you still get the free press delivered to your house? A couple faithful supporters? Zero. All right, real good. Uh, <laughs> there is a, an article posted every single weekend there called Michigan House Envy, where it, it shows these beautiful mansions or these, these massive estates that exist in Michigan, and there's supposed to be like this envy that we have. Lifestyles of the rich and famous cataloged powerful people and what their lives look like, MTV cribs. You all know what it looked like. Like the camera crew would show up, they'd knock on the door, someone would welcome them in and say, let me show you this opulent, lavish lifestyle that I am living uh, but my question is, why? Why does that stuff exist? Why do we care about the highlight reels of other people's lives? Like, why do we scroll through Twitter and Facebook and Instagram looking at stuff other people have instead of, like, maybe, I don't know, concerning yourself with your own stuff that you do have? Why are we looking to other people and looking at the better things in life, quote-unquote? I, I think it's a uh, I want to I give one reason, potential reason, and some of my younger people, you can help uh, with this acronym. The acronym is FOMO. What's that mean? Fear of missing out. I think we're so afraid that if we don't see everything or know everything or touch everything or taste everything, even if it's just a Costco sample, right, we might miss out on something big. We, not, we might miss out on the better things of life but are these things that we see on the lifestyles of the rich and famous these things that we see on mtv cribs are they actually better now this is what we have to try to ascertain today we're going to look at this as we read ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 uh, where we see solomon chase this down he chased down all this stuff he would have been the best episode of cribs he would have been the best episode of the lifestyles of the rich and famous and he didn't want to miss out on anything either he wanted to taste and test and try everything the world had to offer him to see if he could find meaning. And he did it because surely if he had everything the world offered him, he would be happy, right? He would have joy, right? He would find meaning and purpose and the fullness of life would be found in things. However, uh, the secret is out. It's meaningless is what he says. Hevel is the Hebrew word he uses, which is vapor or a wisp of smoke. It's something that you think you see and you try to grasp it, but then before you can grab a hold of it, it slips out of your finger. So I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the first 11 verses, and I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation today because I think it does a better job of really just simply explaining what Solomon is saying, and this is a life recovery Bible. I think as we focus on hedonism today, this is a good Bible to have if any of us have ever struggled with hurts, habits, hang-ups, anything like that. If you don't have a Bible that talks about recovery, I'd be happy to buy you one after the service today. It's in the New Living Translation, but would you join me in God's Word, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This pericope of scripture is titled, The Futility of Pleasure. I said to myself, come on, let's try some pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself up with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself, by planting beautiful vineyards. 
I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, others who were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take it. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors, verse 11. But as I looked at everything I had, worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So as we see this resume of the pursuit of pleasure and productivity in King Solomon's life, he had it all, right? But he says it's all meaningless. And this leads us to ask one big question. It's really one primary question that we're going to ask for the first part of the message today. And then the second part, we're going to give the answer. The question is, why is pleasure so short-lived? Why is pleasure in our lives so short-lived? Solomon describes himself, the koheleth, the preacher, the teacher. The word in Hebrew, koheleth, simply means the one who's gathering people around to teach them things or tell them things. So that's what, we're, that's what he's doing for us right now. He's saying, if I had the means to go get it, I'm going to do it. If I could taste it, I'm going to go get it. Whatever it is, I'm going to go grab it because that is going to lead me in uh, pleasure. That's going to lead me in satisfaction. And while this letter was written over 2,000 years ago, it, it might as well have been written last night. Amen? Do you know anyone like this who just wants to pursue pleasure and pleasure? Are you like this? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. You don't have to say yes, but you know it in your own heart if it is you. So we're going to go on an episode of MTV Cribs with King Solomon, okay? That's basically what he does. The first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He's like, you know, come on in. Check it out. The camera crew comes in and he's like, look at all this amazing stuff. He starts in verse 3. And the first place he takes us is, come on into the private bar. I want to show you the private bar in this beautiful mansion I had, where he said, I tried to cheer myself up with wine. Amen? Oh, yeah, see, y'all are paying attention. Usually you would just say amen when the preacher says amen, but nobody wants to confess to cheering themselves up with wine. That's okay. Solomon said he still drank responsibly even because he listened to his mama, right? In Proverbs 31, uh, the, the, uh, a woman, a mother said to King Lemuel, who said, it's not wise to do this. It's not right to drink strong drink. It's not right to get too drunk because then the people that you're serving are going to be afflicted by you. You're going to forget what was decreed to you. So he said, you know what? I'm going to cheer myself up with wine, but I'm going to drink responsibly. I'm just going to have a little bit here and there, and I'm going to chase this pleasure. So after we move from the private bar in my house, I want you to come check out my garden, right? He's saying, come on in. Look at all these massive, great works that I built in 4 through 7 of chapter 2. He's saying, I had houses, farms, pools, gardens, the hanging gardens of Babylon, the aqueduct of artists, all these things that were around during King Solomon's time, that this was the pride and joy of kings and princes, that they would build up these beautiful things to prove their wealth, to prove their opulence. In 1 Kings chapter 10, it talks about the wealth of Solomon, that he had so much wealth, it was unbelievable. And he's saying, hey, now that you've seen the bar, now that you've seen the garden, now that you've seen all these houses, don't mention the temple, don't mention the palace there's amazing things it's not even comparable the wealth and purchasing power and equity that Solomon had in his day but he's saying why don't you come on down into the treasure vaults actually verse 8 he says I got all this gold and silver and you know what I think of when he's doing this like if, if I'm envisioning this MTV Cribs episode and Solomon's like come on in you got to check this out uh, it's like how many of you ever watched DuckTales growing up right where he's swimming in the 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 golden coins, right? Or uh, maybe any Hobbit fans, the desolation of smog, right? Where there's a big dragon swimming through gold and jewels and it's this power and all this beautiful stuff and Solomon's like, you gotta come check this out. You gotta check out all this stuff I got. It's more than anybody else ever. More than any king ever. He's essentially saying, right, there's almost a braggadocious nature to it where he's like, you gotta check this out. You gotta see all this stuff. 
and it's almost like uncomparable to today's economy. There's not really a sense in doing it. If you go to 1 Kings 10, you can try and do some of the, the calculations on your own. But immediately it says he has 666 talents of gold, which is about $40 billion in today's economy. That's just liquid gold. That's just gold he can spend with, right? But he's got all this money, and he's saying, now that you've seen the vault, now that you've seen the treasure, I want you to come on into the game room. I want you to see the theater room that I got. I got all these singers. I got every boy band, every girl group. I got Michael Jackson over here if you want to hear him. I got Rihanna over here if you want to hear her. Whoever it is, come on in. I got all these singers. They're the best singers on earth. And then every episode of MTV Cribs, right, right before they exit the house, the last place they go, and if you're a kid, if you're not asleep yet, cover your ears, right, they say, this is where the magic happens, right? They take him to the bedroom, and he says, I had concubines, so beautiful. All the desires of man I had more than any man could ever desire. What a life, right? Isn't that amazing? Now, so many of us are really quick and ready to condemn Solomon, but I would be willing to bet that almost every single one of us wouldn't mind being Solomon in here, right? The wisest man on earth with all the money in the world, and you have all these things available at your disposal, but we're all real mad at him here, right, because we feel like we're supposed to be. But I think for all of us, right, when we look at the pursuing the American dream, right, it's the pursuit of happiness, which is circumstantial, which comes and goes with resources as they come. So Solomon, he closes this episode of Cribs. He's like, all right, guys, thanks for coming. I'm glad you came in. But, oh, by the way, real quick, I want to tell you something. All this stuff you saw, all this reward that I got for my labor, none of it matters. It's all meaningless. It's all worthless. None of it is important at all. That I, I thought this was what would give me life, and none of it gave me life. The conclusion that he had from acquiring all this stuff, the pileup of disillusioned terms, toil, vanity, it's striving after wind, it's for no profit, it's work under the sun, all this stuff, and none of it matters. It's all meaningless. But Solomon doesn't say it didn't feel good, did he? Right? He's like, all this pleasure actually felt good, and I received some reward. I worked hard, and I got a reward for it, and I loved it, and it felt great. He didn't say it didn't feel good. He said it didn't actually matter in the, wrong, in the long run. And I think that all of us can resonate with this. You don't have to be a multi-billionaire to resonate with this kind of feeling. You don't have to be someone who has all the cars and clothes and toys and jewelry and whatever else it is to resonate with this. How many of you have ever had an experience that felt good? If your hand is not up, we need to talk. Like, let, let's go fishing or something. Come on, like, we can have a good time. We're supposed to have a good time, right? Right? We've all had an experience that felt good somewhere. Maybe you were at work, right? And you worked real hard on a project, and I don't know, maybe you designed batteries, and you see one of the cars driving on the road of the battery you designed. That's got to feel good for you. Or, you know, maybe you played real hard in a, in a tournament, and you won the MVP of the tournament, of the weekend tournament, whatever it was. Or fishing, right? How many of you have ever been fishing? How many of you like fishing more when they bite? It feels better, doesn't it, right? You're like, yeah, this is good. I like this. I like the pleasure that I experience from this. But if we're honest, it always goes away, doesn't it? All the fleeting pleasures that we feel, because the project that you succeeded on in that car that's now driving on the road, you fail on your next project. Or fishing, any real fishermen are going to give a hearty amen. Sometimes you go and they don't bite. The pleasure runs out. We're always left with this nagging sense of dissatisfaction at some point. We're filled up for a minute, but then we're empty again. Feels good for a minute, and then we feel bad again. And we got to live pleasure to pleasure. We got to live paycheck to paycheck, moment to moment, vacation to vacation, whatever it is, whatever is pillaring our life as we go down through the doldrums because we're not experiencing pleasure. Why is pleasure so short-lived? I want to give you some answers to that question uh, because the pleasure that we're talking about right now is worldly pleasure, hedonism, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Go get whatever feels good to you. Just do you. Whatever feels pleasurable to you, go out and do that. That's what Solomon is saying he did in all the ways that many of us would uh, like to do. Uh, and I know many of us aren't plagued or consumed with materialism, so it's not maybe necessarily applicable to everybody, but how many of us are prone to getting distracted? Everyone is. All of us can be distracted. 
So why is pleasure so short-lived? Let's look at a few answers. The first one, pleasure is so short-lived because the world doesn't supply enough pleasure to fully satisfy. It's always going to run out at some point. Now, Solomon answers these things. He answers these questions as we carry on in Ecclesiastes. In the fifth chapter, he says, like, uh, about money. He's like, whoever loves money and all the pleasure that it promises, it's all going to go away anyway. He's not going to be satisfied by it. If you love wealth, you're not even satisfied by your income, is what he's saying. Ecclesiastes 5 is a beautiful chapter. We're not going to preach it fully uh, through this series, but I would really encourage you to read the entire book, but spend some time on 5. Worldly ple pleasures promise more than they can produce, right? And, and I, one Bible commentator puts it this way, that when it comes to pleasure, the advertising agency is better than the manufacturing department, right? There's going to be advertisements and marketing for how good this is going to make you feel, and then you get it, and you're empty again. Look at, look at just the, the famous quotes of life. G.K. Chesterton is a theologian from hundreds of years ago, lived in England. He said, meaninglessness is never found at the end of pain. Meaninglessness is found at the end of pleasure, Right? Ernest Hemingway, a great author who, who really lived it up. He wasn't necessarily a great man, but was a great author. And he has a great quote. And kids, I'm just reading from Ernest Hemingway's quote. All right? This is not straight for me. He says this about life. He says, life is one damn thing after another. That's what he says about life. Well, somebody who is one of the greatest American authors and someone who we would look at as like had a lot of stuff. He says it's just one thing after another. Why is pleasure so short-lived? Because every pleasure of the world is temporary. Every single pleasure that the world offers is temporary. It will come and it will go away. Solomon basically quotes Job in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And what does he say? He says, naked a man comes into the world. Naked a man is going to leave the world. And everything that's in his hands, he can't take it with him. Right? So you may have it for a minute, but it's going to go away. Whatever the pleasure is, whatever the experience is, whatever the feeling is, the promotion, the relationship, whatever it is, it's ultimately not going to last as long as you want it to. That's, that's the bottom line. Now, we can, we can spend time on the pleasures. We can spend time on those things, but I'd much rather spend time on our hearts, right? There's not a problem with going to work and enjoying your work. There's a problem with how we sin with that. There's not a problem with eating food. There's a problem with how we sin with that. The problem is us. It's not the stuff. It's not God's creation. It's us, right? But we want to blame everything else. We're real quick to blame everything else, right? I have little kids, and little kids are very, very good at this. They're walking sermon illustrations, right? What happened? He did it! And I'm like, no, I've watched you punch him, right? So I, I know you did it. He probably did something, right? But what did, what did you do, right? So this is what Solomon is getting to. He's getting to the bottom line about us, about our hearts. Another famous example, uh, probably the, one of the greatest linebackers ever to play football, Lawrence Taylor, right? LT, played for the, the New York Giants, was amazing. Wrote a book called LT, Over the Edge. And here's how he describes himself. I want to read this quote. He said, when I was on the field, I was Superman. It was like I operated at a higher plane. But when I came off the field, something happened. LT became Lawrence, and Lawrence was completely clueless and empty. That when we put so much of our identity and our stock and our life in the things that we do and then that stuff ultimately all goes away who are we right it's like retirement when somebody works years and years decades in a career and then they retire you can only fish so much you can only play so much golf to get your mind off of if my purpose has been sewn into this job it's going to be a problem because it's going to end right I look at my own family right my dad retired uh, and then got another job in like three months Right? And I'm, I'm not, you know, throwing shade at him or anything. I mean, you, you married folks might know what it's like, right? He came home and now he was home all the time instead of being gone all the time. And sometimes that can, you know, cause an issue, right? But, but I think that he just, he's so used to working and doing stuff, he's like, I got to keep doing it. I got to go keep doing it. I have something to give, so I'm going to go pre be productive. There's no problem with that. But we see that when it is so much sewn into and tied up with who we are, it's our job, right? Like, when people say, who are you? You're like, I'm a shift supervisor at XYZ company. No, 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 no. That's what you do for work, but who, who are you? Or like when people ask me, what do I do? I, I've, had to, I've had to train myself. My answer is the same thing. I follow Jesus. That's what I do, right? Now, and, they're, and usually they're like, okay, have a good day, sir, right? They walk away, they're like, that and I'm done. I don't need any more. Thank you. You gave me everything I needed, Right? Right? So I, it's maybe not the best evangelical tool, but it's to train my own heart that I'm not a pastor. I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And he has me being a pastor today. And that's the same for all of us, right? 
that when we get tied up in what we do, we see how temporary the pleasures of the world are. We see how our significance is bound up in our title. And when that goes away, who are you? Right, this is what Solomon's saying. He's saying when this stuff is more important than, than the real important stuff, you're going to find meaninglessness. Why is pleasure so short-lived? Because there is legitimate pleasure being offered in illegitimate ways. Legitimate pleasure is being offered in illegitimate ways. Solomon, uh, we'll just use the primary example. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So would you say he ascribed to the one man, one woman biblical marriage that God outlined? Absolutely not, right? So he, he didn't want to do that. So he got pleasure, but it was a legitimate pleasure that God had said is pleasure, but it was gotten in an entirely illegitimate way, right? So we would contrast this with Moses, right? The author of Hebrews writes something about Moses in the 11th chapter where he says, Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. Rather than, because he was raised in the most opulent household in the world at the time. It was the number one family on earth in terms of wealth and access and affluence. But he chose because God had told him, these are your people and I am your God. And it is better to be with me than it is to have all this stuff. I had a conversation at a birthday party on Tuesday. We were talking about sin. Uh, and I asked the question, why do you think we sin? And they gave a great theological answer, right? They were like, because the fall of man and our flesh is at war with God. Like, yeah, that's the right answer. But why do we actually sin? Because I like it. Most of the time, that is where we're caught in sin. It's not because, like, we have this great oppression over us and we're like, ah, oh, what's the right way? What's the wrong way? Oh, I'm going to go that way. And we fell into sin. No, most of the sin in our life has to do with us loving it, has to do with us liking the way it feels. This is why we have to understand what the author of Hebrews said about Moses saying we have to choose rather, even if it means being mistreated with the people of God, rather than the fleeting, temporal, only last for a minute, pleasures of sin. Why is pleasure so short-lived? Because self-serving ambitions are ultimately inadequate. Because when we do everything for ourselves, you're going to get to the end of yourself one day and you're going to find there's nothing left. You're going to find there's nothing there. So many of our stories, those of us who have come to life-changing, life-saving faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we got to him when we got to the end of ourselves. He was already there. He was always there. But we had to exhaust every option inside of Ryan to find Jesus, right? That is absolutely my story. But when we do everything for ourselves, which this is what happened with Solomon, right? Do you see any philanthropic intent with Solomon? Is he saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a splash pad for the kids of Jerusalem. No, he's saying, I built all this for me. I did all this for myself. And when you get there, when you do everything for yourself, and everything is selfish ambition, you're going to end up with meaninglessness. You're going to end up with emptiness. That we have to have mission outside of ourselves. Because when yourself is the focus, a disappointment is coming, friends, at some point. Because you're going to find that you are not the, the end-all, be-all of morality. You're going to find that you are not the measure of manhood or womanhood. You are not the measure of perfection. And when you do everything to try to serve yourself, it's only a matter of time before you get to the end of yourself and you say, hello, Jesus, thank you. I'm glad you were here all along. Or you can continue to do things that are going to kill you. Jesus was concerned about this as well, right? What does he say in the Sermon on the Mount? What does he say in Matthew chapter 6 where he talks about stuff? He's like, is there not more to life than the possessions you have? Is your life not more than clothes and food? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then when he talks about treasures, he says, lay up for yourselves treasure. So commonly it's lay up treasure. Lay up treasure here, lay up treasure there. No, he's saying lay up treasure for yourself. If you lay up treasure for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves come to steal and kill, then you're going to be disappointed. But when we lay up treasures in heaven, that's where the fullness of life is found. I think a temptation for us, church, when we are asking the question, why is pleasure so short-lived? We have clear biblical answers that we can chase. But I think for many of us, we think, well, I'm not like Solomon, right? I don't, I don't, I don't got it like that, 
I don't have money like that, so I'm not faced with the same afflictions that Solomon was faced with. I don't have 40 billion cash just in my pocket, so I'm going to be materialistic with it. But every one of us, uh, almost every one of us, confessed that we were plagued by distraction from God. And all we have to do is look at the culture surrounding us, right? The culture that we live in, all of us, whether you got a lot of money or you got a little money, whether you got some money or you got no money, whatever it is, right? Those are just tools to help you get distracted. You know that, amen? Right? The more money you have is just a bigger tool to help distract you. Right? It's, it, it's all the same stuff. If the distraction is there, it's not because your bank account, it's because your heart. Right? If we're turning away from God, it's not because the stuff, it's because the stuff that's in here. Right? The junk in our heart. But if we look around at our society, like, we're being tempted with abundance everywhere, aren't we? Right? Just look at your family. Right? Your family will be happy if you take a Disney vacation. Maybe your family will be happier if you go to Disney World. You'll be broke, but you may be happier, right? That, that could be something, right? I, I'm, no, no, I'm not throwing any shade to Disney, I don't think. Um, unless I am, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, or, like, you got to try out for every team. And if your kid makes every team, then you got a good family. If your kid gets the trophy or dates the homecoming king or queen or takes AP classes or if you're an adult and you finally go on another vacation or you get a new watch, phone, car, tool, whatever it is, retire wealthy, have a, a fit and tone shaped body, all these things the world tells us, this is when you'll be happy. This is when you'll finally be happy. When you've got more stuff than other people, when your life looks better than other people, then you can compare yourself to them and say, I win. Jesus was clear about that too, right? When somebody's standing in the temple saying, at least I'm not like him, Jesus is like, that is from hell. That language is from hell. We need to heed these compassionate warnings from the Koheleth, from the preacher, from our teacher today, Solomon. Seeking lasting pleasure in what this world offers is only going to lead us empty, church. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If that's only focused on the pleasure that's added to your life, we missed it. If that's only focused on the things and stuff that we can grab to our life and put in our life that's going to all end up in a junkyard one day anyway, then we missed it. We missed real pleasure. It's only going to leave us empty. We may get filled up for a minute, but you're going to be empty again. Right? In, in almost all my counseling sessions where we talk about things like this, because God had to do this with me, uh, there's a really quick and easy tool that we can add to our lives. How do you know when your car is going to run out of gas? There's a light, there's a meter. How do you know when your life is going to run out of gas? Usually we stop. <laughs> Usually we run out of gas and we're like, oh, how did I get here? <laughs> it's like, well, you need a gauge. You need a meter. You need a light that's going to come on and be like, hey, you're going to run out of gas. Solomon tells us that there is a well that never runs dry that we can go to, but when we spend our time with short-lived pleasure found in the world, we always end up empty again. So the, kind of the crux here is like, if there's pleasure in the world, and there's pleasure in the world, amen? And if it's all meaningless... Why would we ever do pleasurable things? So that, that's part of the, the, the dissonance that needs to be created in our minds, right? Because uh, whole denominations have been created with this, right? Whole heresies have been spun out with this, right? Like, don't dance because you may have fun, and if you have fun, you might be too close to sin, right? That's not what the Bible says at all, right? But should we enjoy pleasures if they're all meaningless. This is what the preacher is getting to with us, right? Because God is a well that never runs dry, and he created all of this for us to enjoy. I, one of the greatest mischaracterizations of Christianity is it is a list of do's and not at all. Christianity is, here's all this stuff, including a savior. Go, it's all yours, I gave it all to you. It's all yours to rule. But there's a way to do it. It's not just a free-for-all. It's not just hedonism everywhere. It's not just get pleasure wherever I can. When we lose sight of the Savior, though, we miss it. God is a well that never runs dry. After Solomon's extravagant pursuit of pleasure at every angle that the world had to offer, he concluded that looking to the Creator 
is the first place to go that will begin our experience of finding joy and satisfaction and pleasure that will last. Only looking to the creator. So he goes through all of Ecclesiastes, and we're just going to spend, again, five weeks in the first two chapters. We'll touch on some other chapters. And then week six, we're going to wrap it all up as he does, where he says it's the end of the matter in chapter 12. But basically, he says, pay attention before it's too late. Listen to the words of your creator in your youth. Pay attention before it's too late. That's what he's saying. So when he talks about this pleasure, he is saying God is a well that never runs dry. All the stuff that the world has to offer is meaningless. And I want to tell you about some, a few things that are in that well, okay? So everybody say with me, in the well. In the well, God created us with a unique ability to enjoy life's pleasures. We are the only creation on all of earth. We, humanity that can fully enjoy all the pleasures that life gives to us, right? How many of you have pets at home, right? How many of you, when your dog just goes crazy in that food bowl and they get up, they're like, mmm, I could taste a hint of salmon in that, right? They can't fully enjoy it. They're just eating because it's in front of them, right? Or when you're really excited with somebody on your team does something and you give them a high five, right? How many of the chairs after church today are going to be like, man, we really killed it today? The people stayed seated, no one fell, it was great, right? We are the only creation in all of creation that God gave the unique ability to enjoy the rest of creation. It is a blessing that's found in the well that we can embrace and enjoy the pleasures that life offers us because when God created at the end, he said, it is good. Yes, it was marred by sin. Yes, we are living in a corrupted world. Yes, I pray that God is going to renew and remake and restore all things very quickly. And I pray he starts it today in my heart, right now. I need, I need renewal. I need restoration. We all need it in our heart first, right? All of us, every single one of us. But God created this, and it was good, right? God is a well that never runs dry. Another thing that is in that well, God designed boundaries that benefit our experience of pleasure. Everybody say, boundaries that benefit. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful or profitable, right? Or expedient for any of my King James people, hallelujah, right? So he's saying, just because I can do everything doesn't mean I should, right? Just because I can go do whatever I want doesn't mean it's going to be good for me. And what are the two examples that he uses? And uh, parents, you chose to keep your kids in service. I'm not going to be past PG-13, but you can explain it to them at the dinner table. He uses two things, food and sex, right? Are food and sex good things from God? Man, some of y'all married people needed to take that chance and shout, yes, because you get cooked for, and if you have kids, Boundaries that benefit, okay? God created boundaries that benefit our experience of pleasure. So he's saying, I want to give you all this amazing stuff. I want to give you this beautiful food. But if you begin to become addicted to it or you begin to allow it to control you, so many people live their lives breakfast to lunch to dinner to sleep, right? There's so much more in the kingdom of heaven available for us. But after people eat lunch, what do they say? What's for dinner? Come on, there's so much available for us. He gave us boundaries that are meant to benefit us, but we look at those boundaries as ways he's trying to stop us from doing us. Correct. He doesn't want you to do you. He wants you to do him, right? When you do him, you experience pleasures, never ending. When you do him, you experience the fullness of joy and the fullness of life. These are pleasurable boundaries that he offers to us. So in the well that never runs dry, that's God. God is the well that never runs dry. The last thing that we're going to find in that well is that God designed us to find our greatest pleasure in him. We are designed to find our greatest pleasure in him. Not a nice steak, not a romantic evening, not Cedar Point, not any of that stuff. Those are all good things. Amen. Do them. Those are great. If they control you, they become sin to you. That's the bottom line, right? When you become addicted to things, even good things, they can become a stumbling block and sinful to you. God designed us to find our greatest pleasure in him. Two of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 16 and Psalm 8. Psalm 16 talks about boundaries, and it is a beautiful, beautiful Psalm. And, and in this, the psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. 
In God's presence is where joy is full, not on MTV Cribs, right? Not in the treasury or the garden or the private bar, none of that. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is how we were designed. We quoted this last week of Psalm 8, when the psalmist talks about the heavens and the stars and all this stuff, and then he says, who am I? Like, what is man that you are mindful of me? As he looks at all of creation, he is squaring with himself, wow, you love me. You care for me. You sent your son for me. You care for mankind. When our greatest ambition is to know God, that's when we can have lasting pleasure from him. And that's when we can actually receive the blessing from him throughout our lives. God wants to bless you. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that God desires to bless you like a good father? He wants to give you things. But when we worship the created things above the creator, that's when we miss it. That's when he said, I'm going to take these things away, or I'm going to cause them to uh, allow you to do whatever you're doing with them to you. You're going to get hurt, right? When we abuse things, we end up getting hurt. When we use things outside of their designed intention, we get hurt. I asked this question in the first service. I don't think people got it, so maybe you all are more awake in the second service and a little sharper. Uh, could you, could you cut your fingernails with a hammer? Yes? No? Yes? Sure you could, right? You'd cut a lot of other stuff off too. You may cut your fingers off, but you could cut your fingernails with a hammer, couldn't you? Like you could do it, you could get there, but when you use a tool outside of its intended purpose, you get hurt. When you use a blessing outside of its intended purpose, you get hurt, right? I use this example all the time with us that God gave us another tool to clip our fingernails with and thank God it's not a hammer, right? But he gave us food and he gave us sexual intimacy and he gave us the sun and he gave us winter and he gave us each other and he gave us chairs and he gave us all kinds of things that when we use in their designed purpose, they're blessings to us. When we misuse them, not when we say like Adam did, right? Why did Adam sin in Adam's mind? That woman you gave me. <laughs> right? No. No, Adam. I've tried that one in my own marriage. It doesn't work, okay? For any husbands, young husbands, old husbands, it does not work. In fact, it makes things worse, okay? Amen? If God enables you to experience pleasure, don't get mad about it. Thank him. It's a blessing. But when you begin to take that pleasure as an idol in your life, that's when you're approaching sin. When you have put a created thing above the creator, that's when you've fallen into sin. If God blesses you with a vacation and it's responsible, go on vacation and enjoy it and say, thank you, God, for this change of scenery. Show me yourself here. If God blesses you with a new phone, car, clothes, watch, whatever, shoes, anything, think about how you could receive those things to use them for his glory instead of saying, oh, yeah, look at all the stuff I got. Look at my stuff. No, use them for his glory. He's the one giving them. If he shows you something that's pleasurable or you encounter something and you're like, oh, that feels good, check and see if it falls within the boundaries he's laid out for your life. If it's not, it may feel good for a minute, but then it won't. It'll feel bad. Psalm 84 is one of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you believe that all the words of Scripture are true, church? If it says no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, what should we aim to do going out of here? Absolutely. Even if it's totally selfish, right? Even if you're just like, yeah, I'd love to have good things from God. He'll get you there. He'll sanctify you, right? You can't sanctify yourself. Don't even worry about it. Don't try, right? He will sanctify you by walking uprightly, right? And God has created this for us to enjoy the pleasures that are at his right hand. He has given us creation and his blessings because he's a well that will never run dry. So as the worship team comes back onto the stage, I need to talk about our problem because we have a problem. We have a really big problem, church. God is a well that will never run dry. Repeat after me. God is a well that will never run dry. Our problem is that we have drank from any well that looks wet and we think it will satisfy us. 
Our problem is like, oh, that looks wet, and we drink it, and it may even feel good going down, and then you have food poisoning, right? Or, and then you have all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to go into the details, right? You can use your imagination. But every well that looks wet is not the well of living water. Everything that looks wet to you and may look like you want to drink it is not the well that will never run dry, Jesus Christ, the fount of love himself. He said this, right? He talked about this in the Gospel of John. He said, whoever drinks of this well will never thirst again. How many, ki- how many kids are from school at church here? How many kids have been to school at church? Okay, uh, we have been cataloging who is Jesus throughout all summer long, right? And these kids are amazing. And then when they repeat scripture to me, it's even more exciting than when you guys do on a Sunday, right? I'm just, I'm a sucker for kids who know the Bible, right? It just, it, it gives me so much hope, right? So the most important question, kids from school at church, the most important question you could have ever answer is what? Who is Jesus, right? And when you want to know somebody, you ask him. And we asked him in John chapter 6, and he said, I am, what's the first thing he said? I am the bread of life. That's right. Why does it matter that he's the bread of life? Because if you have him, you'll never be hungry. You'll always be satisfied. Amen. Come on. If he gets it, we can, right? Amen. Come on. Now, now you might have me out here preaching all day, James. I might preach all day, Coop. Don't do that. All right. Okay. All right. Let's focus. We're already over time. Jesus, help me. I apologize if you had lunch plans, but hedonism is bad, right? The word is better. Amen. Only a personal relationship with the creator will provide lasting satisfaction. That's it. God has given us the world to enjoy. He's given us creation to enjoy. He's given us boundaries that benefit us. So boundaries on our enjoyment, just because it feels good, doesn't mean you can go do it all the time. Amen? Amen. Not everybody said amen, that the consequences will be on you if you weren't listening. Finding true pleasure and joy begins with knowing him. That's it. He is the well that will never run dry. He is the bread of life. And if we have him, we will always be satisfied. And at just the right time, God sent him, Jesus, his son, so that we could know him and turn from our sin and experience the fullness of joy, trusting in his life, death, burial, and resurrection for our atonement. Because we can never do it on our own, church. We can't even enjoy it on our own. We need his help to enjoy it because his spirit then comes to live inside of us forever as we grow in our relationship with him, as we discover the path of life and abounding joy and blessing. It is available to you in God. Abounding blessing is available to you in God. A never-ending joy is available to you in God. I can't stand up here and yell at you enough to try to convince you of that because I have tasted everything that the world has to offer, right? I traveled all over the world before I was 20 and took every single thing in from the world that I could. And it all left me empty, everything. And only after I exhausted every pleasure I could possibly imagine taking did I get to the end of myself in Oakland County Jail and I said, hello, Jesus. It's you that I've been looking for all along. It's you that, has, that can fill me up all along. So church, we got some, uh, some commitments to make. How many of you are ready to get over your FOMO? Come on, how many of you are ready to get over your fear of missing out? You don't got to sample everything to know how it tastes. All you got to do is look at Jesus and say, should I eat this? He has reached out to each and every one of you. God himself, the creator of the universe, reached out to each and every one of you with his son Jesus, through his son Jesus, and said, if you want abundant life, here it is. Right? If you want to enjoy pleasures forevermore, here they are. Walk uprightly. I won't withhold anything from you. And if you've never responded to that invitation, that personal invitation from God the Father through Christ the Son, make today be the day. If you are sick of getting filled up only so you can be empty again in seconds, minutes, days, whatever it might be, get filled up with the living water to where you'll never be thirsty again. Eat the bread of life and you'll never be dissatisfied again. Have you become caught up in the pursuit of stuff? in the frenzy pursuit of things and experiences and men and women and stuff the world says we need that is only killing us. We need to repent and let go of the stuff that's killing us 
and start chasing the only one who wants to give us pleasure all the time. Even in suffering, there's pleasure in a life with Jesus. Even when you don't see it, there's pleasure in a life with Jesus. So it's time today to put away the false promises and make your relationship with Jesus your priority. You got to hear this. Everyone's got to hear this. Turn away from distractions and make Christ your life again. Turn away from distractions and make Christ your life again. Not your pursuit of pleasure. Not going to do you. Make Christ your life. When Jesus Christ is your life, pleasures forevermore will come. But when you care more about feeling good in a moment, he'll say, okay, I'm going to let you do it, but you're going to have to pay the consequences. There's consequences for everything. Some, not all consequences are bad, church. There's good consequences for walking uprightly with God. What does it say? He won't withhold anything good from you. He'll give it to you. So we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to sing a song together. You can choose to sing it if you want, I guess, but the song's called Jaira. Now, it's a simple word that means provider. It's a simple word that means we're proclaiming your provision for my life is enough. Your provision for my life is all I want. I've never been more loved than I am right now. God, Jehovah Jireh, the one who has provided you are enough for me. And when you can believe that today, sometimes you got to put your flesh under the submission of the Holy Spirit. And the best way to do that is to sing the songs and raise your hands to say, God, my flesh may not even want to obey right now, but Holy Spirit of the living God, come inside me and take control. Come inside me and take over. I don't even trust my flesh at all. I need you, Holy Spirit of the living God. So as we sing this song together, let's make this our proclamation. Let's make this our prayer. Let's make Christ our life again. Father in heaven, in the mighty name of Jesus, I say thank you. You provided everything I could ever need. Now it's up to me to take it. It's up to me to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, not yes to the world, not yes to that man or that woman that I should never answer their phone call again. Yes, Lord, you want to give me things that are only good for me and I want to receive them. And the only way I can do it is by putting my faith, hope, and trust in you and you alone for my salvation, Jesus Christ. Indwell me, empower me, strengthen me by the Holy Spirit of the living God so that I can experience never-ending joy, so I can experience pleasures forevermore found in your right hand alone. Jehovah Jireh, provide for us right now. Do a miracle for us right now. Even if we don't believe it, Holy Spirit, sow belief into us. Even if we can't understand it right now, provide for us right now. I'm trusting for a miracle right now for maybe one person that wants to sing this song as they make Christ their life again. For maybe one person that wants to say, I'm done with the world. I'm done with whatever I'm holding on to that's just killing me anyway. I want to let it go. I want to drop it at the altar today. I want to leave my phone on the floor today because it's only killing me. I want to get rid of the stuff in my pocket that's killing me today. Because Jesus, you're enough. And God, you're my provider. We trust you. We love you. We praise you. We give it all to you now, Jesus. We pray all these things in your mighty name. Together we say amen and hallelujah. Let's praise our King, church. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.